Good morning. Ah, the sound works. Always a good question when you're first stepping up the microphone. I'd like you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38. And as we read this, I'm going to read it a little bit out of order. And I think you'll understand as we get into the Word why I did that. Isaiah chapter 38. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with the whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol. For the rest of my years, I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more. Among the inhabitants of the world, my dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent, like a weaver. I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself till morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O oh, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and defend this city. This will be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I'll make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz. Turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial ten steps by which it had declined. And Isaiah said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
You know, I've really wrestled with this word of God this week. Yeah, first of all, choosing a passage to preach on is easy when you're doing a series like Nate usually does, but when you haven't preached on anything for a while, and you got the whole Bible to work with, it's hard to find something. And then you find a passage that, well, you kind of like, well, we'll use that for the scripture reading. And then you and the reason why I brought that one up is because it talks about youth and old age and everything in between. It speaks about us in our lives as we progress. And I thought that would be appropriate. But then I came to this other passage. What was I thinking? This is in the middle of a major prophet. And it's a narrative with a psalm included. What was I thinking? And as I've worked on this passage and wrestled with this passage again and again, I say to myself, what are you thinking? Last night, two in the morning, I'm saying to myself, do these people really need this passage? And God said to me, God works in mysterious ways. And so you're going to hear it. This is the word of God. Let's listen to him speak to us. Oh, by the way, I've changed the title. It's now A Bitter's End. God's grace revives embittered spirits. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that um, no bitter springs up. Bitter root of bitterness springs up. Can't even read my own writing. He was a good man. He was a godly man. He was a good king. He was a godly king. A good, godly man in a midlife crisis. Now, this man, Hezekiah, was the king of, of Judah in probably one of the most tumultuous periods of the history of that kingdom. His father, Ahaz, was one of the most wicked. In fact, he even dropped Jehoahaz out of his name to disassociate himself with the God of Judah, the Lord God of heaven. Ahaz had polluted the temple, brought in altars, and worshipped the god of Moloch. And the, in fact, he went to Damascus, and he was so impressed by the altar there that he had a model built of it. He took it back and had them build an identical altar to replace the altar in the temple. And they worshipped Moloch in the very temple of God. He was raising up idolatry all around him. In fact, it says in the scriptures that he even had his sons pass through the fire a, a rite that was a part of the worship of Moloch. Can you imagine growing up in a home like that? At the age of 12, Hezekiah became a co-regent with his father. During this period of time, he saw his father engage in all sorts of wickedness, and it was a very rugged time in, the, in that world. If you think the Middle East is a mess today, you should see what it looked like then. Egypt on one hand, Assyria evil overlord raging through the region, the kingdoms to the north of Syria and Israel attacking Judah, um, constant conflict going on, war 
threatening the very city of Jerusalem itself. Ahaz had reached an agreement with the king of Assyria. In fact, he had made an alliance with the king of Assyria to protect them against Israel and Syria. Imagine growing up in a home like that. Now, there was one good thing in the life of Hezekiah, and that was the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah again and again would confront Ahaz with his idolatry, with his wickedness, and again and again he would be rejected. In fact, he was offered to Ahaz a sign that God would deliver, and Ahaz refused it. Well, Isaiah says, I'll give you a sign anyway. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child. Well, when he died and Hezekiah became king at the age of 25, he immediately set out to reform the nation, to cleanse the temple. He pulled out all the idolatry and restored the furniture of the temple. He brought together the worship and the priesthood of the temple, and they once again restored the right worship as the father, as his father David had done, David the first of his line of succession. He even restored the Passover, and he invited those who still believed in the true God to come from, his, from Israel and regions around to come and worship in the temple. At the same time, he was struggling with the rampages of Sennacherib the king of Assyria, and he fortified the city. He built up the army. He even dug a very famous tunnel to keep the water supply for the city in case of siege. He was a good man. He was a godly man. And at the pinnacle of the crisis, as Sennacherib raged around the region and took 46 of Judah's cities, walled cities, and many of the people into captivity, Hezekiah became sick. Isn't this the wrong time for something like this to happen? Isaiah comes. This is the word of the Lord. You will not recover. Wrong page. You will not recover. Put your house in order, for you shall not survive this. You shall die. Such an emphasis there on the fact he's going to die. And when he says, put your house in order, he's not just talking about straightening up the furniture. He's recognizing the fact that there is no heir to the throne. That the kingdom of Judah will collapse in chaos unless something is done to organize a continuation of government in the city. And we find Hezekiah weeping bitterly. Now, I want you to know that the word bitter there is the reason why I'm preaching this sermon. And it follows up in the verses that come on a little bit more, where it talks about bitterness. Now, Bitterness, you know, a sour, bitter taste in your mouth is a phrase we use in our, our language as well. But 
The word bitter, weeping bitterly, is a very significant thing because the word does not appear very often in the scriptures. Oh, it occurs when Hannah is praying about the fact she has not been able to bear a child and the, and the high priest finds her weeping bitterly because she desires a child and God brings Samuel. There's also Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, who when she returns to the Holy Land, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter, Mara, bitter, because the Lord has dealt severely with me. We find it in Job and Lamentations, but it's here in this passage three times. So let's think about that bitterness. God revives a bitter spirit. And what we want to see is that bitterness is a battle we have to deal with as believers. But first I want to digress because this is a midlife crisis. You know what I mean, a midlife crisis. We hear about those, you know, he's going to go buy a Porsche convertible <laughs> oh maybe a new wife too uh, we've heard the midlife crisis thing right here it says in the middle of my years Hezekiah was 39 he is mentioned in the scriptures as being the greatest of the kings of Israel since the time of David there was no king in Judah that surpassed him in godliness and faithfulness to the Lord, in service to the Lord, and he would be the last good king until Josiah, almost at the end of the, the kingdom of Judah. You know, life shifts. It changes. We experience drifting in our lives all the time, and oftentimes it discomforts us. We get depressed disappointed. I love these D words. We decline in our years. We, we experience disorder. We become disillusioned. Oftentimes in our middle years, and a lot of you out there are in those years, and perhaps you've been experiencing some of these things. What is happening in your relationships? What is happening in your careers? What is happening in your families? What is happening oftentimes is that our dreams are dying. Our vision becomes blurred. Our hopes grow slim. And we get into a situation of crisis. Here it's extreme. And we want to see in this psalm that Hezekiah wrote what bitterness is and how it is dealt with by the Lord. The first thing we see here is a description of what the bitterness was like in Hezekiah as bitterness speaks. Look at these verses. Verses 11 through 14. In the middle of my days, this is verse 10, I must depart. I'm consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent, like a weaver I've rolled up my life. This guy has no hope. And, and think about it for a minute. This kind of really got to me as I started thinking about this passage. Imagine 
Isaiah walks in to your hospital room and says, Thus says the Lord, you're going to die. This is a man who loved the Lord. When he prayed, he prayed, Lord, remember how I walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and done what is good in your sight? And the prophet comes and says, this is the word of the Lord, you're going to die. And his response is, even God has left me. And as you look here, I want you to notice the prominence of that word I. This is a pity thing. I am feeling so bad, I'm pitying. I will not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I won't look on man anymore. My dwelling's plucked up like a tent. Like a weaver, my life is rolled up like an old rug. And there's more here, too. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself till morning, but like a lion, he breaks my bones. Now, this is Hebrew poetry, people. You know, this is an expression of emotion, an expression of intense emotion. This is the way the man was feeling in his heart. He is struggling with God. He goes on. From day to night you bring me to an end like a swallow or crane. I chirp, I moan like the dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. Oh Lord, I'm oppressed. Bitterness is two things. First of all, it's a tremendous, it's a strong emotional response to a crushing situation in life. When things get really rough, we become bitter. And it expresses itself in our emotions, in our thoughts, in our feelings. And this is what is happening in Hezekiah's heart as well. He's, he's sensing this crushing that's going on within him. And more than that, bitterness is oftentimes... The word is used this way in the Hebrew as an interpretation, a human interpretation of what they think God is doing. And he's looking at God and saying, you're crushing me. You are crushing me. And that bitterness is there. Have you experienced any bitterness in your heart and life and have you experienced moments in your life where it just seems like everything is going downhill and you feel like God has just kind of let go of you and let you wander? What is your pledge of safety? What? Now, first of all, he said, I said, but now he says, what shall I say, he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walked slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things, and he's speaking about what God has said and what God has done, by these things men live, and in these is the life of my spirit. Restore me to health and make me to live. It's for my welfare 
that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit. You have cast my sins behind your back. So, what is the role of bitterness in our lives and hearts? God has spoken, and he's dealt with it. This is the gospel, people. This is the fact that when we are helpless, God reaches down and picks us up. He delivers us from our sin. He delivers us from the bitterness in our hearts. And sometimes he allows that bitterness, those moments in our lives to come in order to draw us closer to himself. Now, I mentioned that I got attracted to this because of the subject of bitterness. You know, it's been a long time since I've been in a pulpit. And I've felt bitterness. There are times when you wonder, why, Lord, in the peak of my life, in the strength and vigor, why suddenly I find myself not doing anything in terms of the preaching and the proclamation of the Word of God. And, and you struggle with that. Why, O oh Lord, are you allowing these things to come about in my heart, in my life? And the response that God says is two things here. First of all, he says, walk slowly because the bitterness of your soul. Now, Hebrews warns us, don't let a bitterness get a root in there because it can bring trouble. And oftentimes, many of us have seen the damage that bitterness can do in people's hearts and lives. I've seen marriages, I've seen churches, I've seen families where bitterness has been totally destructive because it hasn't been dealt with. Walking slowly here or walking quietly is in a sense saying humble yourself because of the fact you are a person struggling with bitterness. The idea here is the fact that we're sinners. There's not one other than Jesus Christ himself who doesn't struggle with sin. And you look at the great men of the, the Bible David and Moses and Isaiah and all of these people struggle with sin. And we have to acknowledge that because that's the first thing, repentance. Accepting and recognizing the fact that we have become embittered in some ways even to the Lord himself. But the second thing he says here, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. In love, you have delivered me. You have cast my sins behind your back. And so by allowing bitterness to work on our hearts, he draws us back. All things work together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Even when we find ourselves in the worst of situations, God is in control. Now, I mentioned earlier that he's blaming God for his situation, but now he acknowledges the fact that God has brought this into his life for a good purpose, for his welfare. There's no trial that comes in your life in which God is out of God's control and for which God does not have a purpose. We may not see it. We may not understand what God is doing. 
Bitterness might even start to grow in our hearts. But in love, through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, taking our sins and casting them away, drawing them to us to himself, giving us life through his spirit. You see that in these words? It's the gospel. The gospel is God's answer to bitterness in our hearts and lives. And when we allow the gospel to work on us, it both recognizes the fact that we are weak and we struggle, but also that God can pick us up and help us overcome these things. He goes on in verses 18 through 20 to contrast the dead versus the living. Someone who's dead, as he thought he was in the beginning of the psalm, doesn't praise God. But the one who's been made alive in Christ, he rejoices. The Lord will save me and will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the house of the Lord. Isaiah was walking out of the temple, uh, out of the palace, excuse me. He's in the courtyard on his way out, and suddenly the Lord says to him, Isaiah, go back and talk to Hezekiah. I have another word for him. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah, go say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord. Hey, this sounds familiar. The God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. Hmm. A little while ago we needed a miracle. Now we have two. We have the miracle of the fact that God says you're going to recover from this illness and I'm giving you 15 more years of living. And Though we're worried about this evil man rampaging around the country, I'm going to take care of him too. And some things happened. Hezekiah did have 15 more years. And a couple years later, his son was born. And, and unfortunately, he took after his grandfather. But Manasseh was able to take over and carry on the line of David for 55 years of rule and only in the later years of his life did he recognize the error of his ways and return to the Lord but, but God had made a provision there Sennacherib on the other hand and we're not quite sure whether, whether this happened before or after his illness but they're both events were very close Sennacherib heard a rumor that the king of Babylon now his capital was Nineveh the king of Babylon is rebelling so he took his army and he hightailed out of there back to deal with Babylon. And on the way, the Lord God struck down 185,000 of his troops. And he didn't come back. Not a single arrow was fired. Now, I must say this, that, and I didn't get into this and probably don't have time to do it, but Sennacherib sent his general, to taunt Hezekiah and the people. And, try, and you want to read about this, it's in um, 
Kings and Chronicles, um, and Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. That to taunt the Lord, and Hezekiah stood on the very same spot where his father Ahaz had welcomed the Assyrians and told them, the Lord will take care of us. And he took the letter of threats and laid it before the Lord in the temple, and he took his stand on the promises of God. And one more thing happened, and I'm not going to talk about how this happened because I don't know. But you know the sundial? The sun went backwards. Ten steps before it started moving back. Quite a sign. Quite a miracle. God can deal with bitterness. And God can heal. And God will carry on His purposes. Now it's true that Judah has only been spared for another 120 years. Hezekiah's got 15, Judah has got 120. God's purpose will be that a virgin will conceive and bear a child and he will be a savior. God's purpose is unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. You recognize those words? There's going to be a servant come who will suffer. And he will be crushed for our iniquities. Those are words from Isaiah. Now, I mentioned this is a rough passage to deal with because here we are, narrative right in the middle of the book of Isaiah. The first 35 chapters of Isaiah are full of judgment. From chapter 40 to chapter 66, it's the gospel being lifted up as a hope of salvation. And right in the middle, we have this little narrative section where God is grounding us in the history. And I think it says one more thing to us. It says that the individual is not insignificant in the plan of God. Hezekiah is just a man, but God is going to use him to bring about his purposes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that you'll help us to examine our hearts, to uproot the bitterness that may be there, to recognize your providence and grace in our lives. And Father, draw us closer to you that we might find life in your spirit and that we might rejoice in your house. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.